0: Good morning, guys. Uh, my name is Tommy Trouget. Um My wife is Val. We've got four boys. We moved here in August um, last year for this, and uh, it's been awesome. Um, anybody see, uh, watch regular news, catch regular news, anything like that? Nothing political, but just like crazy stories. They are still finding people on islands. Uh, There was an American doctor who was like over in, uh, off the coast of South Africa, seven years ago, went fishing by himself, not very smart, 120 miles off, storm comes in, uh, takes him out, he's floating for a couple of days, lives on an island. Last week, some guy's flying over, sees this guy, calls, and uh, the authorities and all the people come out there to write their stories and do all this, and so they get there, and I, I didn't catch the whole thing, but I got the gist of it, and it was... This guy was amazing. He he had the same body weight as he did when he was lost seven years ago. They thought this guy was dead. When they find people like this, they're kind of shriveled up usually. I mean, it was all by himself. Was very uh, productive in like being able to feed himself and stuff. And so anyway, he he built himself a house, was able to do that, made tools and all this. And they got pictures of that. We're asking him questions. How'd you do this? How'd you do that? And so... There was a few other uh, structures uh, on the island, and they, you know, they like, hey, what's this over here? And he goes, man, I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. I've built myself a church. Can you believe that? And so I'm like, dang, man, I'm going to worry about feeding myself before I guess you get bored. And like I said, it, the guy fed himself. So anyway, and this other, this third structure, they said, uh, you know, hey, what, what's this? The, you know, shop? He goes, no, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> and so... There's a lot of truth to that story, and uh, as dumb as it is, uh, what I'm gonna t- we're going to talk about divorce and sex today, and, and that, that's caused a lot of division. That's caused people to not feel comfortable and leave, and then that's caused people's uh, hesitancy to, to come in. They don't feel welcome. They don't feel loved. And, and guys, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, we are all broken in need of Christ, okay? Okay. Uh, Let us pray. God, what am I doing here? Help us. Lord, help us and humble us uh, to receive correction that is good and right uh, for our own good, to know you more, and to share you with others. Help me be faithful with your word today. Help me get through this huge chunk in the time I need to. Um, Lord, I just pray to love these people well with your truth and your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just want to remind us, man, 2 Timothy three sixteen: all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. We need correction. And for training and righteousness, that every man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Um, as Greg said before, we uh, the key word for Corinthians is correction. That, that was just messed up, struggling church that needed help. They needed correction. They needed reproof. They needed teaching. Why? So that they could be more effective men of God. Um, I've broken up. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 16, in three sections, 1 through 5 is one flesh, 6 through 11, married and single, and 12 through 16, faithfully stay. And so, as we talk about marriage, I never talk about marriage without uh, where it came from and what it is, and that's in Genesis 2:18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. The Lord saw this and he said, hey, this guy needs help. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. He presented, he brought. This is where we get marriage. This is what marriage is. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Without even knowing, he has never seen a woman. He has never seen anything like this. And he sees her and he's at last, at last, it was in him to know and crave and want and desire that. And God gave that to him. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Um, So back into uh, 1 Corinthians. Now concerning the matters about which I wrote, Paul is replying to a letter that the Corinthian church had written to him hey, we have questions. There's distortions. There's things going on we don't think is right. What do we do? Um, how do we do this? They're, they're asking questions. And so Paul is responding and, um, to those, uh, specifically about sex, sex and marriage, sex outside of marriage, um, and divorce. And so, um, let's see. <laughs> Skip page. Um, so down, um, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. He's being very specific here, as, like as far as polygamy goes, and, and one wife. Each woman, one man. Each man, one woman. No other way. That's it. And so um, the church was being influenced by the Roman culture who actually counseled the men, uh, I'm sorry, counseled the women that, hey, if you marry this guy and he's you know, sleeping with these other women, it's okay. He still loves you. And that, that was the counsel outside of the church that was infecting the church of Corinth. And Just that they got off track and were allowing worldly influence to distort the church, and that wasn't so. And so this is—he goes on to uh, address that. And so it's it's one man for one woman, and this is good. Proverbs eighteen twenty-two tells us: He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor with the Lord. She's a gift. Proverbs 18, uh, 5, 18 through 20. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice, and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with the forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? He's saying... Enjoy your wife. Sex is good. It is a gift. All the way back in the garden, it was, it was made by God for God for oneness in marriage. And so enjoy it. This is good. Um, and then verse two. But because of your temptation the sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each wife should have his own have her own husband. He, this, is, this is a warning. I've, th- this, is, this is nothing I don't battle, like lust and, you know, just other things, worldly pleasures and the, the way I battled this, I, I, had a, I had an addiction to pornography really bad. And there was a day, like, we had worked on it. My wife and I, it's when our marriage started changing and we were kind of getting back on track. We were being corrected. And, and, and when we got married, we just didn't know what we were doing. I didn't know how to lead. And it was a wreck. And thank God he led us to a place that showed us his way. I was self-employed. I had an office. There was nobody, nobody around that saw me in my sin. It was so easy to sin and be hidden and, and keep that shame to myself. And, and I, I had my phone in my, my hand one day, and I, I, I wanted to look at pornography. And I'm looking at my phone. I just feel the spirit just say, call thou. And so, I call thou and I say, babe, I love you. I love you. And right now, I wanna look at pornography. I wanna do that. I wanna do that and I wanna get the short, deathly pleasure that I get out of that. That's what I wanna do. But I love you. And I love Jesus, and I don't want to do it. And that was hard. That, that hurt her at that moment. And she said, let's pray. And so we prayed, and I brought that trash into the light. And I, I told my wife, I called my pastor, I told him. I started telling my friends, man, I've been looking at porn, and I, I had to call my wife and do this. And from that day and that time, that was put to death for months. Okay? It came back. It comes back. But you know what I do? I call my wife and I say, hey, babe, I love you. My mind's wandering. I haven't looked at it. I'm confessing my temptation. I don't call after and confess my sin. And so what hurt her when I first confessed that, uh, ha- has grown to, hey, this is love. This is my husband loving me, being honest in his weakness and sharing. It may hurt me to know this, but he's coming to me and he's not allowing, he's not himself to go there. And I thank God for that. And, I'm, and it, it just has been really good since then. And then just other warnings in Scripture. 1 Peter 2.11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. People die in wars. 1 Corinthians, earlier in in chapter 6, 18 through 20, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God and your body. How do you do this? How do you do this, guys? When those thoughts come, what are you doing? Are you, are you holding on to it? Are you allowing it to feed your anger and your rage? Are you, or are you getting it out? Are you dragging it in the light? Are you loving your wife by inviting her in? When you invite her in, this, the, the other stuff in here is talking about oneness. And that creates oneness. You fight those battles together. You bear those burdens together. A good way is Psalm one nineteen 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word, with my whole heart, I seek you, not my flesh. I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The rest of verse 2 and down to 4. Each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, husband, the, the husband does not have authority over her own, his own body, but the wife does. This makes the for an extremely level playing field. This is, this is oneness. This is, I can't work without you and you can't work without me and you can't work without me and I can't work without you. It doesn't work. She is his and he is hers. This is equality and oneness and unity. The two have become one flesh. So act like one flesh and work together. This idea of oneness is so foreign to this world. It's this, I hate. You do you, man. You do you. You be happy. And the counsel that we get when there's any kind of trouble, it's leave them. You be happy. God wants you happy. God wants you holy. He wants you faithful. He wants to honor your wife in a way that reflects Christ's love for the church. Think about that. That's a, that's a serious call. I didn't know that call when I got married. I had no idea what I was doing when I got married. Jesus gives a great example of this, Mark 10, 45. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Husbands, are we leading in this way? Is there anything selfish about how we are loving our wives in, in like sexually? Are we pursuing the heart before we're pursuing the body in our pleasure? What's it look like for you? How are you doing that? First Peter 3, 7. Likewise, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, listen to this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. We can be treating our wives in a way that is not honoring, is not glorifying God, that is damaging that is keeping us from oneness, where we say, God, help me with this. God, help me with that. And he is saying, not today. So that our prayers may not be hindered. I've had prayers hindered. I have. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Down 31, 32. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Again, this is repeated over and over. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And what did he do? He initiated. He he came He saw, hey, they can't do it. He comes down, not to be served, but to serve, and he gets... Tortured, he gets trashed on a cross and he dies for us. And that is what a husband's call is in a marriage on his wife. Uh, Verse 5: Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement. For a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again. Why? Why is it important? So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self control. This is evidence that shows that sex is, in fact, important within marriage. This is an exception for married couples to abstain from sex, but they have, there's conditions to it. There's guidelines. Hey, if you're not, not going to have sex, if you're not going to do it, there's four things you need to know. There is a way to abstain by agreement for a limited time. Why? Why? That you may devote yourselves in prayer, so you're willing to take time. It's like a fast. You're fasting from sexual relations with your wife, so that you may become closer, more fully devoted, more focused on God. but but then come together again. Why? So that Satan may not tempt you. the person um, so that Satan may not tempt you because your lack of self-control. This is a, it's a warning as well. I mean, because of your lack of self-control, this is a warning. This is saying, hey, there's a way to do it, but be careful. Here's how you do it. And when you're done abstaining, when you're finished, get back together. That's good. That's good. And again, this is only done to focus and be more fully devoted to Christ. It's, it's a break. It's like, Jesus, I, or I'm sorry, baby, I love you. But let me, hang on, let me just really focus. And I'm, I mean, that's kind of making a little bit light of it. But it is serious. It's so serious, it was jacking the church up. And so, Paul's addressing it. He's telling them how to do it. Verse six. Hang on a second. Verse six: Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this: I wish that all were as I myself am. This is Paul. He's single. But each has his own gift from God—one of one kind and one of another. The gifts he's speaking of are the gift of singleness and the gift of marriage. To so the unmarried and widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. Paul wishes that all were single like he is so that they could be more fully devoted followers of Christ and not be held back by their families and children. I mean, it's, that's what he's saying. I, he, is not, he, is, he is not a divided man. He is, can give full focus, full attention to God. And w- without restraint, he can pick up and go as he needs, anytime he wants to. And yes, there is an advantage up there. He can be more effective. But some do have the gift of singleness. But there's others that have the gift of marriage. My wife, I love Jesus more because of my wife. I absolutely do not have the gift of singleness. I never did. I never did. I needed people all the time. My, I've got a niece Holy cow, I got a niece. She was engaged to be married. Didn't work out. And uh, she decided with that, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this singleness. I'm going to use this gift of singleness to grow in my godliness and to grow my love and affection for Christ and to love others. She did that for an indefinite amount of time. How long are you going to do it? I don't know. And so... She was all about it. She didn't have people, hey, when are you going to find a man? When are you going to do this? When are you going to, you know, it just, that, that, that really is. And that's, we don't need to encourage that way. We need to say, hey, how are you using your singleness on this to love God? How are you using this time where you can do anything for him? How are you using that gift? And uh, she, she met a guy on, on some of the mission stuff she does who was a pastor in Guatemala, and uh, is marrying this guy, Guatemala, sorry. Um, And uh, she's going to be married in in August, and and I'm excited about that, and I think it's going to be great. And so, um, and later on in verse 28, Paul tells us, this is kind of funny, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. So that's good. Good. Paul, Paul, Paul. and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. I would spare you of that. He's he's just hey, marriage is work. It is far more work than anybody ever told me. I never got a good bit of truthful advice before I got married. I may I wasn't seeking it in the right places, but it was terrible advice. There is a way 1 Corinthians 7, 32 and 35, a little later on again. Uh, I want you all to be free from anxieties. The married man is anxious about things of, uh, I'm sorry, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to be holy in body and in spirit. She can give full devotion without the nonsense of a boyfriend or a husband distracting her. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. How can you best serve the Lord? Are you using that in your singleness, single people? Married men, women, are you using your marriage for undivided full devotion to God? Is that how you're using it? We need to realize this. We need we need to be aware. Hey, we we are in marriage? Hey, we how are we going to use our marriage to glorify God? What are we going to do? How can we display the beauty of Christ through that? Single people, how can we do it single? As far as a married man goes, Ephesians five twenty-six and 7, that he, may, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her By the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she, his wife, might be holy and without blemish. This verse, when I realized, husbands, our call is to get our wives ready for heaven, to present her, to wash her in the word How are we doing at this? Are we doing this? Are we? Verse 9. But if they cannot exercise self control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. This stipulation differs between the wife and the husband. It says, but if she does, if she leaves, she is not to remarry or be reconciled to her husband. But the only thing mentioned said to the husband, the leader, the head, the husband should not divorce his wife. I'm sorry, guys. Back at verse nine, I jumped ahead. I'm sorry. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. Paul is saying, if you're going to struggle, if you're going to burn with passion, if you're going to have issues, then where? Like, if sex is the problem, where do you go? To marriage. It's okay. It's it's good and right within marriage. I'm sorry I jumped around there. I hope that makes sense. Um, Jesus, we're, we're going we're gonna to go to him in Mark 10, uh, 10 5 through 9. As, as the Pharisees are talking to him about divorce, and they're just looking for reasons. And, hey, what about this? What about that? What, did, what about Moses? Didn't he, what did he say about it? And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, because of your hardness of heart, he, Moses, wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, Genesis 2 in the garden, but from the beginning of creation, when God took that bone and he made that helper, when he saw that need, God made them male and female, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Again, there it is. So that they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then, what does he say? These are the words of Jesus. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. He doesn't allow divorce. It was not intended in the beginning, from the beginning. The two become one flesh. And that marriage is to represent Christ's love for the church and the husband loving his wife in a way that reflects that. This is easy for me to see and understand and believe. And I know, like, some other churches, I mean, they've done a really poor job at being specific on this. At Outpost, if you, if you are a member and you come to us and say, I want to divorce my wife, we are going to lead in counsel to reconciliation every single time. No matter what. That is what we are called to do. And to be faithful, that's what we're doing. Uh, in the fall, we're going to have a, a topical uh, sermon series on MDR, marriage, divorce, or marriage, we're going to be very specific. You will know the counsel that you will give about divorce before you come ask us. We're going to be very close, very clear about that. And then we're going to have a Q&A. And we want you guys to come and ask questions. Ask anything you want to ask. And, and we're, going to, we're going to just take you to Scripture. Um, I, I have a, last year I was on the marriage team. My wife and I have been leading reengage for nine years. Something like that. And uh, it, it has been a gift. It has been such a gift. I love talking to people about their marriages, whether they're struggling, whether they're Amazing. I, 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 down in Dallas, I w- we, that's where Greg and I met. That's why I'm here. Uh, at the Watermark Institute. I got to work on the marriage team. And every week, we were in the room with couples. And Dallas, DFW area is 8 million people. You don't think there's problems there? Holy cow, they got their problems. Okay? And uh, I got to tell you about this This time I got to sit And me and a woman named Susan Cox were in with a couple. And uh, a couple married 12 years. They had three kids, grew up in a Christian home, loved Jesus, saved themselves from marriage, did everything right, Uh, had three kids. The kids were getting older. In school, the wife had some time. What we saw was them kind of fall out of community. They weren't doing life with anybody and and, um, just kind of scrambling really. And so uh, the woman has an affair. We're talking to him about that. And when we counsel people like this, we ask very specific questions. It, I, I believe that's important. It's necessary to be graphic. Hey, God has seen and knows everything, okay? Give your husband or wife the respect to be honest with them if this is your case. Okay? Okay? And so this girl talks about how this affair happened, how it started with phone calls, text messages, uh, lying to her husband, where she's going. She's meeting up with this guy, sleeping with him. And this husband is just staring at her and uh, just taking it in. And I I just, it's so hard to not weep for, for a person like that. He's been hurt like that and Susan says to the guy when she gets done hey how does that make you feel what are you thinking what's going on in your head and you know what this guy said he he knelt down and he looks right in his wife's face and he says Christ died for me and I'm going to die for this come on man I want to love my wife like that. I don't believe that we're ever going to have to deal with an affair because of where we are today and what God has shown us. But guys, can we love our wives that way? Can we forgive everything and love Christ, love our wives like Christ loved the church, and give yourself up for her, shove your pride down and bury it, And just say, you know what? I signed up for a covenant, a lifelong, one-flesh marriage. When you cut one flesh in two, it dies. It comes with death. And I know there's some that have gotten divorced. And what Paul is getting at in a lot of this is, hey, wherever you are, if you are divorced, if you are, just stop it. Confess. You may need to repent. But focus back on Jesus, wherever you were, repent. It's okay, it wasn't God's best and there is going to be damage. But get your eyes off of the shame and guilt and get your eyes on Jesus and be effective and reflect him in your marriage today. Something good to think about is, again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ Jesus reconciled us to himself. Why? To give us the ministry of reconciliation. We reconcile. We don't divorce. We use, like, if that is your story, like if you've been divorced, if you've been abused, what, what, like the, the, the sexual uh, verses in here, that, that has been misused and distorted for man's pleasure in a terrible, dark, wicked way. God wants to give you freedom from that, But you got to bring it in the light. you got to confess it. you got to get it out. The guilt and shame that I held on to that kept me from God, God's best and the freedom and the life and just being able to breathe and having no shame, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. I want that. We all want that for you. We're not going to shame you. No matter what your story is, we're going to love you. We're going to, if there's reconciliation that needs to be happened, we're going to walk through that with you. Verses 12 through 16, uh, faithfully stay is how I titled that one, faithfully be. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, a brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? This is, I, I, I love this section right here. This is Paul's exhortation on a believing spouse that, married to an unbeliever and his confidence in the scripture, in God's word, in the Holy Spirit being able to use that wife towards that unbelieving husband to save him. It's showing confidence in the power of God and what he can do. How, how would, what chance do they have if the believing spouse leaves? Who's gonna love him? Who's gonna witness? Who's gonna, who's gonna do it? How do you do this? This is beautiful. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4. Love this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some that do not obey the word, if there's husbands that aren't obeying the word, if they're not believers, they may be one without a word, not O-N-E, but W-O-N, one, victory, that they be one without, Without a word, by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. When a wife, when a woman, I know a lady like this where we came from. They were unbelievers when they were married. Um, and then Jehovah's Witness got a hold of him. And she was still an unbeliever, but realized uh, this is not right. And another faithful lady, uh, who we named a son Dobson after, um, witnessed to her, brought her, to, you know, led her to Christ, and that woman is married today, still for years. Who was an unbelieving person, husband, now Jehovah's witness. She won't leave him. She believes God is going to open that man's eyes, and soften and change his heart, and bring him to Christ. I pray for that lady from time to time. I. I so I want to pray for her more, but I mean, it's amazing. He goes on to say, he gets done saying with, with, with your, con, your, you know, your pure conduct, don't do it like this. Do not let your adorning be, to be external, the breading of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, or your clothing you wear, but let your adorning be hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. That's a beauty that most men don't see. The beauty of a woman fully devoted going after Christ, I think sometimes we laugh about it. Um, I, I was really stupid a long time ago. I still got work to do. But if I were to draw you a picture of, like, who I thought I was going to marry, it would not look like this woman externally. But that woman is beautiful. She's more beautiful than anything, except for one thing. But her love for Jesus is so beautiful. And the way she's up every single morning reading her Bible We got four kids, and that's hard to do. She devotes. She spurs me on. I love Jesus more. She is using her gift of marriage in ways she doesn't even know. I wouldn't be up here if it wasn't for her. I wouldn't. I might not be alive. Thank you, Jesus, for Valerie. All right. We get on time. Sorry, guys. We're starting the descent. First, um, 1 Peter, 1,13 through21. these up here. This is good preparation for what we're doing here, what we're talking about. Therefore Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, obedient, correctable, teachable children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Leave that stuff behind. Let it go. Don't focus and dwell on your sin and this guilt so much that it keeps you from God and, and pursuing him and others. But as he who has called you holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Some of us had generational sin that we need to deal with. It just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. Do you know what that is in your family tree? We need to stop that. We need... We need to be correctable. We need to be holy as he is holy. Knowing that you are ransomed from your fetal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with pre- the precious blood of Christ, Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, why? So that your faith and hope are in God. What is your faith and hope in, guys? Is there anything keeping you from giving all all your life just this morning? I heard a beautiful couple talk about things. Hey, we shared this, we shared this. They've been married a long time. And we get to watch God work in their marriage and do wonderful things. We, we, we always used to ask, you know, what's the last 2%? Like if someone comes to us and confesses something, and we, we, get, a, we get a good bit of it and say, hey, you got any 2% left? That they'll share just enough, but not everything. And guys, for you to be really healed and get the freedom Let that shame go. Let the guilt not rule you. You are missing out on a goodness you cannot imagine. If you're not letting people in, whether it's past abuse, maybe it's things that were done to you. Like I said, men have used some of these Verses for their own wicked and sinful pleasure and done serious damage. Don't let someone else's sin keep you from growing and loving Christ more and just the simple freedom that comes in being known for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all broken in need of him. It doesn't come without you acknowledging I am weak. I wish I could describe the feeling when I called my wife that day, thinking about <laughs> thinking about how I uh, felt before I called her, and just how little and weak and helpless I was. In your weakness, He is strong. And it's his strength. We're nothing. We are nothing. We are hopeless and lost and dead without him. I love Luke nine sixty-two. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And I like that, I I dwell a lot on that verse. I just it's been on me a lot lately. And I think of you know, that might be your past sin, things you've done, people you've hurt, death that you have caused, that you're scared, that you don't want to talk about, where you're putting up these walls that are only isolating you and keeping you from the freedom that God wants from you, for you. But putting your hands to the plow and behind you all that stuff is tilled up and it's ready for growth okay don't put your hands to the plow and stare and dwell god's over here he's waiting when you turn your back and you're focusing on your sin and trying to fix it yourself oh i can do this i can manage this i can hide this you got your back to god you you can turn your back to that trash And you can just say, God, I need you. And your sin's back here, and he's in front of you, and your eyes are on him. And he's going to heal you. He's not saying, hey, come over here. Get better. You work on that. He is right here. Take his hand and trust him. So in all this, you know, Paul addressing the church with divorce and sex. And, and when I first wrote this, I went through two verses and I was 25 minutes in. I hope I'm not over, but Greg in here. Um, Paul is, like I said before, is just like, whatever's happened, put your hands in the plow and look forward and keep going, man. Don't let that Keep you from Christ. Just move on. Here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Be faithful where you are. Everybody's got some past hurt, some damage. Some of us have caused a lot of damage. Some have received it. Whatever the case, drag it in the light. Confess it. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Great power in healing. One more Luke 1, Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Which is all of us, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But, Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we'll pray. Father. God, I pray for acknowledgement of our weakness and an understanding of a hope that we can only have in you for life and for goodness. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here who has been through any of this, been a victim of it, caused it, whatever, Lord. Your death on the cross paid for that damage. And Lord, let us be honest and acknowledge that. Bring it in the light. Pray and move on. And be effective Christ followers. Lord, if there's broken stories, broken marriage stories in here and whatever. Lord, I just pray that they grow bold and get up on a stage and say, this is who I was. This is who Christ is. And this is what he has done for us. And be an example. Lord, even when we're not, your faithful. even when we're not your faithful Lord your grace covers that I pray that we don't rely on that I pray that we seek to diligently and faithfully love and follow and represent you well in our marriages in our singleness and put the past and our sinful broken stories to death and just look at you and Put our hands in the plow and move on. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.